Hello, I'm Alex Mosed, and you're here on Winner Take All, where we talk about the constant battle between large tech monopolies and traditional incumbents. Joined by Nick Johnson, co-author with me on the book, Modern Monopolies. Hello. And uh, what we're going to talk about is this morning, bright and early, I think 6.20 a.m., uh, I was I joined Maria Bartiromo um, on her show on Fox Business, and we spoke about Amazon, we spoke about Facebook. Uh, we're going to come back to the Amazon stuff in a second as we uh, as as we look at their earnings. Actually, the earnings call is going on right now uh, with Bezos and team. Um, but I'm going to show a little highlight clip about what we spoke about with Facebook, uh, and then we'll come back to the um, Amazon stuff after that. Kind of regulation changes might you expect? Um, net net. I am very positive on Zuckerberg and especially the stance that he's taking. Uh, I don't think Congress gives the American people enough respect or credit for their ability to think for themselves. Um, I think, you know, on the Libra topic, it's going to be a positive thing for America to innovate. You look at what Congress is beating Zuckerberg up on, it's actually kind of anti-American, right? It's saying, well, we don't want you to innovate particularly when your product will be used abroad, which will only have help America's influence abroad, A. B, oh, we want you to regulate more aggressively, basically free speech on your platform called Facebook. Um, it, it just doesn't really resonate with, I think, our value system and what we stand for. Okay, so um, yeah, what I was talking about there is basically what Zuckerberg Zuckerberg, I think, testified uh, yesterday, yeah. yesterday and, you know, about Libra. And uh, there are two caveats to what I was talking about there, which I'm going to get to. But one of the things Zuckerberg mentioned is that there's a billion people underbanked or underserved by the current uh, just financial infrastructure globally. And um, I, what I was talking about there is that where do we think those billion people exist? Maybe somewhere in the United States, sure, but it's not your average Bank of America user. It's people in developing markets and emerging markets where there isn't a lot of infrastructure. You have people that don't have bank accounts or you have people that there's a lot of people that might have a bank account, but never use it and don't really know. Yeah, they just how and they're not, they can't you know. get access to the modern day uh, just financial, financial ecosystem. ecosystem. Right. And that's kind of what that underbank term refers to. And. Um, um, what I go on to talk about is, you know, China understands this very well. China understands soft power via their tech monopolies. They are masters at wielding this and supporting their tech monopolies abroad so that selfishly they can impose what they want, um, when, when the time comes. And we're seeing that play out with Tencent, the NBA, which we've spoken about many times on the show. What this is getting at, though, is to say if, if we are limiting Facebook from innovating, which seems bizarre, are we actually handicapping our own U.S. tech companies to really have influence? Some influence, sure, in the U.S., sure, but more so abroad. And why would we want to do that? Now, if Congress wanted to actually be productive, and look, when I say Congress doesn't actually give enough the American people, the respect they deserve. That basically, I didn't want to say this on Fox. Basically, I think that Congress thinks the average American is stupid and that these people need to be shielded from all of these horrible bad actors called tech companies and that the American people can't make these decisions on their own. 
where else have we seen this? We saw this when we were talking about um, the uh, uh, giving Americans the ability to have their health records go into Apple Health and all of the flack uh, that was created to prevent that from happening because Americans don't understand what happens when they give their uh, health record to Apple Health. So you kind of see this script playing itself out again and again. Well, here's the irony. The joke is actually on Congress. I think Congress is actually the stupid one that doesn't understand what they should be actually talking about. If this wanted to be a productive interview or, or you know, hearing with Zuckerberg, the two things I would drill in on would be, why is Libra founded and based in Switzerland? That should be based in the United States and drilling him on that. That would be point number one, right? Because um, they have the best regulatory regime he could shop around for is really the real answer. Well, exactly. <laughs> so, right, if you're saying, hey, we want to be innovative, we want to support our tech companies, we want America to be stronger because we are the United States Congress, right? And we say, okay, maybe I should get behind this Libra thing because probably China will do this. If China is looking at doing cryptocurrencies, their central bank has been exploring this for at least a couple of years. Exactly. So then you say, okay, hey, maybe we should do this, but how can we make sure that this is done in the right way, which is what these hearings are supposed to be about? And then you say, okay, maybe Libra, because Code Libra is the operating entity, which is based in the US, but the actual Libra cryptocurrency entity is is as currently designed based in Switzerland. The, the Libra organization, yes. basically the consortium of companies that make up that it's based so you in say, Switzerland. Why shouldn't that be based in the US? That'd be number one. Number two would be um, this basket there, that uh, Zuckerberg and Libra is saying, we're going to create a basket of real world hard currencies to help back the crypto. And what they've said is that that's going to be a mixture of a variety of different currencies. And then, Again, being selfish U.S. Congress person. Well, didn't he make explicitly the argument that they should be backing this because it's going to basically be an expansion of U.S. dollar and help establish that as a, you know, continue that as a river currency? Because be mostly U.S. dollar. I think he said that, didn't he? He may have, but I would, you know, but it should be all U.S. dollars. So you should be really be driving home point that that point home more aggressively and focusing on that stuff. As it, I think he made it as a subtle point. You're right. Um, but. I don't know. It just seems everyone focuses on the wrong thing. You know, everyone just wants to beat up on Zuckerberg. I'd say in the in the moral hierarchy of tech monopolies, you know, the, the hierarchy can go up or down. But right now, I'd say Zuckerberg is actually pretty high in the mor- moral hierarchy of U.S. tech companies when it comes to their decisions to not go into places like China because well, he tried. <laughs> <laughs> he tried to go, but they, but he, then they he, said, you got to put your, your I, servers here. I think here. you're giving a little too much credit. He learned Mandarin for several years very aggressively, and it wasn't because he just thought it would be fun. He wanted to go into China, but he didn't end up going into China. There was a line, and it was, well, I'm not going to give China my data. I'm sure there's other things involved in that. I think it's probably more, I didn't want China to steal my IP. And yes, give it to exactly. Else, I didn't but. want China to steal my IP. But... <laughs> you know, um, I would say again on the on the hierarchy of morals. Actually, he can speak for having done that much more so than other U.S. tech companies uh, like Google and Apple and uh, a few other folks that we've been talking about on the show. Um, so, not saying Zuckerberg is perfect, but 
I don't think he's getting a fair rap on this currently, and people are focusing on the wrong things. So going back to Amazon. So what I was talking about on the show for Amazon is that, um, you know, net, net, Amazon, I'm the most bullish of all the tech monopolies that are out there, U.S. tech monopolies. I'm the most bullish on Amazon. They are down 5% or so after releasing their earnings at the close of business today. And basically, they beat on revenue. They miss on earnings because of all the stuff they're investing in with like one day shipping and all these kinds of things. The thing that really has hit them is that they their guidance for Q4 revenue was, was below lower. the street's right. expectation. And what I was talking about on the show of Naria is that these tech monopolies basically are just valued and, and their stock is going up or down based upon growth. Right. This isn't a how much money in earnings did you squeeze out this quarter? The fact that they missed on earnings, that's not the reason the stock is down. The, the, the reason the stock is down is because the growth wasn't as aggressive as what Wall Street thought it was going to be for Q4, the big holiday shopping season. Now, here's the interesting thing. When you look at their guidance, it says Amazon gave fourth quarter revenue guidance in the range of 80 to $86.5 billion, um, which is you know below what the street thought was $87.4 billion. Right. I my suspicion is I think I think Amazon might try to make GMV a bigger part of their reporting because I think if we look at their numbers in in from Bezos's annual shareholder letter from April of this year you now see that third party sales are 58% of the overall throughput of stuff being bought on Amazon. Mm-hmm. And so when I look at this revenue and, number, number is probably only going to increase. That's what it's been and doing. It's only for the going last up in years. So again, and, and we've talked about this many times, revenue does not do platforms justice, particularly um, any kind of marketplace right. where you, where really the, the true measure of growth. If you're valuing a platform business for growth, how do you just look at revenue rather than GMV? And I still can't understand that. But, you know, to give to give Amazon a hard time, they haven't been very transparent on what their GMV is. This was actually the first time they released that information in an official way. Well, I think part of the reason they don't is because it makes it easier to say what Amazon's market share actually is. Yes, for and regulatory. So, that's so a good I point. think that there there might be some hesitation for them to do that regularly mm. but we'll see yeah uh, that's a good point uh, if if it becomes transparent that oh amazon actually has 50% of retail or whatever it is because their gmv is x and they report it every quarter yeah uh that could be a problem for them so we'll see now the interesting thing i mean so so that actually puts them in a pickle and the pickle is to say um hey you know my if if we were evaluating GMV expectations, they might actually beat or surpass what they think they'll do in GMV and total throughput on Amazon in Q4. But what they're calculating is how much of the GMV is going to equate into revenue. And and to just spell this out, if I have traditional revenue, e-commerce revenue, I buy a product, I source it, I buy it, I put it on my balance sheet, and then I resell it. If that product's $100, I recognize $100 worth of revenue. Gross sales and revenue are the same thing for traditional linear first party, whatever you want to call it, e-commerce. 
so not now, true for marketplace. Right. So now the GMV, what GMV is saying, well, if if a third party seller on Amazon lists a product to sell for $100, that $100 is not considered revenue. Say $15 of that is considered revenue, which what, are whatever the fees. you basically keep after yes. uh, as fees charged to the seller yes, is charged considered to the revenue. Seller. So there's GMV and uh, revenue kind of measure two different things for platforms. Whereas obviously if linear retailer, the one in the same GMV is really like, okay, what is the power of your network and ecosystem? What is the throughput? Uh, you know, how strong is that uh, ecosystem performing? Is it growing? Revenue is really about your unit economics. How much of that throughput that you're putting through can you actually capture? Mm-hmm. It goes to the bottom line. Cause at the end of the day, uh, as I say, GMV doesn't feed the monkey. You got to make prop. You got to try to make some revenue so you right. can be profitable. Uh, but uh, just looking at them, you know, one or the other isn't going to give you a full picture of what's going on. As we've talked about with Lyft, for example, revenue is increasing and they're doing that, but they're not reporting GMV, and that's a little fishy because it probably means what they're really doing is amping up, uh, you know, rates and charging users more than they used to, not actually growing the company. Uh, so that they're basically squeezing more juice out of the lemon, but it's still the same lemon or maybe even smaller than it was six months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to really get an accurate picture of the state and health of the marketplace business or a platform business, you need both that GMV and that revenue number, and you need to be able to compare them and understand just if you have one, you're really never going to get the full yep. picture. And so for 2018, Amazon's GMV was $277 billion. 2018. Right now they're growing at 20 to 35% per quarter. Okay. So, um, you can see here, it's hard, it's somewhat hard to kind of see on this graph, but basically it's saying like, Hey, in 2018, they had between maybe around 50, $55 billion for the first each quarter for the first three quarters. And then you have a, a jump up to about $70 billion, um, and Q4. So holiday season of 2018. You roll that all together, call it $225 billion, roughly. Um, so you can kind of see, and that also includes probably uh, at, at least $30, $35 billion-ish, maybe $30 billion of revenue from AWS. And they obviously have other revenue coming in from their other initiatives as well. So right, so that's saying you have less than $200 billion in e-commerce marketplace revenue. Um, but they had $277 billion in GMV. It's a wide gap and it's not all being recognized. So anyway, again, uh, and then, and then as, as Nick mentioned, there are regulatory concerns about how much they should disclose that. So, um, interesting, uh, pickle for them to navigate. Part of the problem here is there aren't standard accounting rules about what you have to report for a marketplace. Like if you literally look at the actual accounting regulations. It's really, there, there's a difference between uh, basically if you're acting as a principal or an agent and that basically are you what first party and you control everything or are you just an intermediary, but it's not, there's no really standard reporting saying you have to report GMV and you have to report revenue. Obviously you have to report some kind of revenue, but a lot of these companies don't report GMV mm-hmm. as with Lyft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would push for as these companies become more and more and more important, there should be standard mm-hmm. uh, reporting rules. If you're you know, a platform business and you are public and have a market cap or revenue of X, mm-hmm. you need to report GMV. Yep. So um, let's keep moving. Uh, Microsoft uh, beat earnings and revenue expectations yesterday. Um, they're up a few percent as a result of that. 
their um, Azure product slowed in growth, but it makes sense. That's a maturing industry. Um, When we looked at our four quadrant analysis of Amazon, um, you know, AWS is definitely in the monopoly stage at this point. And uh, there's roughly 20% of quarter growth, which is great. Uh, AWS, I think, is doing about $9 billion in revenue. So that's a, a considerable amount of growth on a quarterly ba- quarter over quarter basis. Um, Azure being number two. One of the points I made on the on the show with Maria was that actually, if you look at the one, two, and three rankings in cloud storage, Amazon one, Azure two, Google Cloud three, it actually directly maps to the number of apps in their in their app marketplace, in the AWS app marketplace, Azure app marketplace. Right. The number of apps directly correlates with the uh, ranking, the amount of, you know, just how popular each cloud storage right, which makes sense. Is. The more people use it, the more app developers want to be there. The more app developers there are, the more stuff you can do with it, and people yep. will tend to use it more. So there's definitely yep. a uh, relationship there of some kind. Absolutely. So I was at a lunch with uh, Bob Iger today, <laughs> Disney CEO. Really interesting. Just came out with a new book. And, um, <clears throat> you know, he's talking about Disney Plus, which is going to launch November 11th or November 12th. November 12th I'm going to get it. Seven bucks. And I, I'm a big Star Wars guy and, you know, the other stuff. I, I like the, the Marvel stuff, too. Basically, what he was saying is that there's room for multiple players in the streaming wars. And I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, the same way there's room for multiple TV channels. It's the same business model. You just have a different distribution mechanism. Yep. Exactly. So it, it makes sense. There'll be more than one streaming service. Mm-hmm. And so basically there's rumors here that South Park, as if you watch the show, uh, thanks Chris and Dirk for some of the comments on, on uh, LinkedIn. Um, and, you know, as Chris and Dirk know, and others who will watch us know, we like South Park a lot. And so South Park, it looks like there's, there's rumors that there's a $500 million, million dollar deal for the streaming rights for South Park. Um, so that means that um, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the two creators of South Park, would bring home $250 million split between the two of them. Not a bad payday. Viacom owns the other half. Okay. And then they split the other half between the two of them. Um, but but as, as Nick and I were talking about, you can go watch, you can go stream South Park shows right now. I think like right, SouthParkCC.com or right. something. It's been online uh, with ads, obviously, yeah. sometimes with some restrictions on when it's available and for how long for years. I think it actually started out as a third party site that basically was illegally streaming South Park and then they just kind of took it over and licensed Send, it yeah, properly. Yeah, let's uh, put ads. But it's also, I think at some point there was stuff on Hulu, which yep. made sense when Viacom was yep. involved in that. Uh, not sure if it's still there, but I, I mean, with all the money being thrown around, it makes sense that yep. Viacom certainly. Uh, would want to get a piece of that mm-hmm. pie with some one of their more valuable mm-hmm. properties. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Viacom's really entering the uh, streaming wars themselves, and maybe they'll just focus on creating content and I selling think it hasn't, off. Uh, Bob said, Bob Backus said that he, you know, the, the economics of that look terrible, and he doesn't want to get involved. I think and, so. Yeah, you know, they're yeah. a content company, and this isn't our core competency. Right. And yeah, we'll 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 be on the ones that make the most sense for us. Basically, who's going to give us the most money? But. Uh, we're not going to you know, yeah. go bleed billions of dollars to try to be Netflix, which yeah, I like that play does make a lot of sense. <laughs> now, um, how would something like South Park get paid for? Oh, maybe the two point two billion dollars in junk bonds that Netflix is selling. 
um, which I like the title of this article. Netflix sells these junk bonds as it braces for onslaught of competition. Apple Plus, I think, comes out. Like November 2nd? November 1st. I think November 1st. Okay. November it's before, 2nd. I know they timed yeah. it deliberately right before Disney. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so um, who wins? The consumer wins. The content creators win. Um, Netflix is still going to be a fine company, but they're not going to be as grand as they were when it was just them. And no one else, basically. Well, I think I space. think the problem if I'm Netflix is the U.S. business is pretty mature, and it's not a lot of their growth they is coming internationally. Yep, yep. Uh, they've been struggling with domestic growth be before these things launch, which are going to be for the first time like serious domestic competition. Yep. Uh, and by the way, the domestic subscriber numbers—that's where they make most of the money. They're mm-hmm. not charging fifteen dollars or whatever a month in you know India or Brazil or other emerging markets. No one would use it. Uh, so if I'm, you know, basically I'm being attacked in my core market while I'm still trying to bleed money internationally, it's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, tough couple of years for Netflix ahead, I think. Yes, agreed. So last topic is we actually saw two apparel company CEOs step down, I think literally within a day of each other. Yeah. Uh, CEO of Nike, Mark Parker, and um, the founder and CEO of Under Armour as well. And, um, the interesting thing about Under Armour is they had dabbled in platform stuff. Um, they'd made some acquisitions of like running apps, right, pseudo trying to, platforms. Trying to create yeah, kind of like social network type platforms around. Share like running routes. And, around basically athletic activities of yeah. various kinds where you have these really engaged communities and they wanted to move beyond like just. Right. You buy a product from us to like, it's a really part of your yep. experience and lifestyle. And then they yep. can embed deeply in that and obviously sell you products as part yeah. of that. I don't really know how that's done. Um, it, it was an interesting play. I was very supportive of the play. And uh, just because I want to see these traditional enterprises try these things. I think they had like a $300 million acquisition. There were some big acquisitions. Nike tried with, you know, the fuel band. Um, Not really a platform play there. Uh, I saw they had the fuel plus or whatever it was community. They tried to build around that. Right. I don't know Uh, if that ever really got going. I think that never got the kind of momentum behind it that you'd want, especially after the fuel band. Yeah. Basically disappeared. Exactly. So um, now here's what's interesting. Why, why do we talk about this stuff on a platform show when they're not platform companies? Oh, here's why. This guy, John Donahue, John Donahoe, the new now incoming CEO to Nike is the former CEO of eBay. Right. And they're saying there's a big emphasis on selling online. Now, here's the interesting thing. I mean, um, I think these guys have focused, and by these guys, I mean Nike and Under Armour, these apparel companies have focused on pseudo-platform things in the kind of fitness community arena, right? Like the workout, let's yeah. connect you and, you know, uh, share tips or, I don't know, peer pressure and enthusiasm to work out, right? Okay. It's not super sticky. I don't think either of them really had a slam dunk win there. Where I see a very big platform play in apparel is in the product marketplace for shoes and apparel, right. which we've seen now with StockX. 
which we have seen now with goat and a few others, uh, stadium goods and, uh, probably one other one that I'm forgetting about. And foot locker put a hundred million dollars into goat. And we've, this is a very big space. If I am John and I'm coming into this and I was running eBay, I think this is a very interesting choice. And I think Nike needs to make some big decisions about should it own its own marketplace? Right. My answer would be yes. They should own their own marketplace. I don't think they like being playing second fiddle to Amazon, where they now are selling products through Amazon. They didn't right. want to sell. They have a huge they were retail presence. There, basically, by the gray market on Amazon, and Amazon uh, gave them an offer they couldn't refuse. Basically, said, "Okay, we'll help you." Deal with the gray market, but you have to come sell on Amazon. So they're basically mm-hmm. there because they got bribed to yep. be there. They're not there because, like, oh, we love selling on Amazon. <laughs> and here's the other thing to me is, you know, I think Nike and Adidas and the Yeezys and these things, they've done a good job of locking up these celebrities that then they do these collaborations on and, and it's working. I, I just wonder how long that model continues to work. And, right. and especially with the presence of a marketplace like a StockX or a GOAT. And if you kind of play this thing out a few years down the road, you say, how hard is it to actually make a sneaker? Especially in limited quantities. Especially in limited quantities. Special edition kinds of things. And I think what you're hinting at is you might start to see like smaller companies or, you know, more niche kind of designers pop up doing these collaborations. And then if I'm the celebrity, I don't need to give away, I don't know, 70% of the revenue or profits or whatever the economics are. It'd be let's a lot say, better if I do it with someone who's smaller than if I do it with Nike. Let's say uh, Dan Bilgerian or, you know, Dave Portnoy want to do their own shoe. And they're like, you know what? Doing this on my own or whatever, whatever. And, um, and you know, it's, it's not that hard to just cut Nike out. And you already, if you already have a following of millions of people, you say, well, you know, do I need to do? Well, maybe Nike doesn't even want to do it with you because they're like, hey, Dan, you're associated with you know, marijuana and all these things. Like, we don't want to touch that, right? Like, we don't want to be a... F- and Dan's like, well, I want a sneaker. Right. Okay, I guarantee Dan's going to find a way to cut Nike out. And, oh, he has distribution on the marketplaces. And Dan could create a probably a limited edition, you know, sneaker that sells to his fans. Hypothetical example. Don't kill me over the example. But the point is, if you ha- if you're an influencer and you have a following... How much do you really need the shoe manufacturer? No, they're not, they're, if you have the distribution of a marketplace, by Nike isn't necessarily a manufacturer. They're a product designer and marketer yes. and brand. The manufacturing is stuff they contract out. So, like if you can get access to the manufacturing resources, if I'm, uh, you know, a huge influencer, do I do I need the designer yes. and Nike brand, or can I? you know, unbundle that basically yeah. and then use my own brand to go right. do this. Use my own brand or, or, or just the some of these offers the distribution or it could be a second tier sneaker brand right. or, it's, you know, it's an interesting idea. Yeah. I don't know. I just think they're seeing that the distribution channel is getting away from them right. where it used to be controlled. It, it was either, it used to be basically foot lockers, which they have specific contracts with. Then they said, Oh, you know, We've got to go direct. We've got to own our own retail stores. Uh, Nike and Under Armour have both done this. Then they, I don't think they like p- playing second fiddle to Amazon. They've got a yeah, monopoly on shoes. Like they've this also stuff. been news that they're looking at potentially cutting out some basically smaller resellers and distributors mm-hmm. online and saying, let's go put everything, it seems like, on Nike.com. 
Yeah. I think that would probably be a mistake. Uh, just given you know, you think about marketplaces, you're going to seed a lot of customers that aren't going to come to Nike.com and you're not yeah. going to be playing in the places <clears throat> where your customers are. Uh, you certainly will have some people that will just go to Nike.com because they want Nike stuff, but you're going to be losing, I think, long-term in a big way if you just try to go linear uh, seller versus all the marketplaces out there, whether that's Amazon, whether that's you know Goat or StockX. Yep. Uh, you're not going to win that battle. Yeah. And it, and even if you're Nike, I think that's not a winning. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a very interesting place. So we'll, of course, keep you posted. And thank you for joining us on Winner Take All. We will talk to you tomorrow.